0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. Nice. Welcome to Torah Studies. Uh, let me mute the background because it's a little bit, a little bit noisy. We love clean background so everyone can hear. Okay, so welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly look at the Torah portion. This week is an exception, although it's called Torah Studies. Well, I think I don't think it's an exception to the name Torah studies, because we're gonna learn about Torah. In fact, we're gonna learn about Torah maybe in a more, more of a meta way than usual, but it's not focusing on the Torah portion of this week, which is Pamidbar. It's focusing on the upcoming holiday. This is a holiday edition. Um, and the holiday that's upcoming is Shavuot, the festival, the celebration of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. All right, so how many years ago was the Torah given at Sinai? The answer is 3,334. It's a lo- very old document. You think about the Constitution of the United States, it's a few hundred years old. <laughs> Seriously, small potatoes. <laughs> a few hundred years old, <laughs> garnished. When you talk about Torah, 3,334 years, even hasn't even aged a drop. It looks like it's got that fresh... Is that the new car, new car smell. It's got that new Torah, that fresh uh, new car, new Torah odor. Hey, Rosita, welcome. Good to see you. Hi, Ray. Good to see you. Welcome. It's great to have you here. Okay, so what we're going to do today is explore two things. Okay, you ready? I'm going to I'm going to lay out. I'm going to outline the conversation. Number one, we're going to look at a very fascinating Talmudic tale about what happened when Moses came to get the Torah. When Moses went to heaven to get the Torah, apparently a massive fiasco ensued. So we'll talk about that as the Talmud describes it. That's number one. The second big thing we're gonna talk about is studying Torah for the right reasons versus not for the right reasons. Right, like, what if a person studies Torah and had to, you know, um, I don't know, what would be the right reason? The right reason would be to be a mensch and do the right thing and whatever. But imagine a person studies Torah just to, you know, uh, for others to look at them like a scholar. Like, oh, wow, oh, you know so much Torah. Ooh, look at this, oh, wow, that person. Whoa, what a genius. Or to post on Facebook, like humblebrags. Like, you know, oh, oh my gosh, stubbed my toe on the way to Torah studies. Whatevs, you know, hashtag, I don't know what the hashtag would be. Hashtag uh, no pain, no gain. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag Tom Chacham. no big deal. Just a scholar, you know, no biggie. Right? So uh, we're going to explore. That's great. We're going to explore the notion of doing good things for the right reason versus not for the right reason. Okay, so those are the two things. We're going to start with uh, thing number one. I feel like a Dr. Seuss book. We're going to start with thing number one first remember thing number 1 thing number 2 mm-hmm. who remembers the cat in the hat i don't remember oh it's classic oh classic on class like that first of all when you read the cat in the hat in 20, 2022 mm-hmm. lots of questions come to mind i wasn't planning on talking about this but i did say thing one so now we're going to do a deep dive listen you guys know i've done a deep dive in the giving tree by shel silverstein right you guys have heard that that whole spiel mm-hmm. that whole codependency thing okay well we're not we're not talking about that we're talking about now the Kabbalah of dr seuss Okay, Dr. Seuss and the cat in the hat. I, I'm not gonna do that deep of a dive, but I just wanna say this when you, when you read it in 2022. The first thing you wonder is, why are these kids home by themselves? Like what is going on here? Like how is that? You, you notice like this strange cat is coming in, causing all sorts of havoc. Parents are not home, no one knows what's going on. Parents come back home and this stranger fixes things. Could have easily gone completely sideways as well. Right, so what is going on here? How is that happening? 2022 we are a little bit more conscious about that what was the expression back in the day latchkey kids remember that expression latchkey it was like whatever it's like it's like the keynote address you know the keynote address why do they call right everyone's got a they call it a keynote address you know why because it's always the last speaker they hand the fellow a key the speaker they hand the speaker a key and a note the note says lock up when you're done That's what it is, right? The keynote address, no one's gonna stay to the end. Lock up when you're done, knock yourself out. Reminds me of a story. President of the United States visits Israel, taken around on an official tour. This this president um, has never seen Israel before in action, has never really been around Jews. And you know, goes around and sees all sorts of interesting customs and traditions, and synagogues and houses of worship and rituals, and all, and asks you know every every case, it's what are they doing and what does it mean, and gets a full explanation of the meaning of everything. Anyway, sees uh, in um, in he, he's in synagogue. The president is in, in, in the synagogue on Shabbat, and the rabbi gets up for a sermon. <laughs> the rabbi takes off his watch. Give me a second here let's let uh, Joanna in maybe that's the Joanna we've been talking about so the, um, uh, the, the the rabbi takes off his watch puts it down on the lectern right in front of him and uh, the president asks one of the one of the you know tour guys, the assistants whatever the, his his people's on the ground says hey tell me what's the significance of the watch on the lectern not at all significant. There is no significance to the watch on the lectern. That's it. If you don't get it, then you have not slept through a sermon. You have not slept through a long sermon. So the, the shamish goes to the rabbi and says, the rabbi says to the shamish, the assistant, someone snoring about the sermon, wake him up. Shamash shamish says, you put him to sleep, you wake him up. The guy falls asleep before the sermon. The guy, guy falls asleep every every week, falls asleep in the sermon. One week, he falls asleep before the sermon. Rabbi says, what's going on? not even start. Rabbi, I have full faith in you. <laughs> have full faith. All right, back to our story. I don't know how we got thing one. We're going to start with thing one. Okay, all the way back to thing one. Thing one is the drama that happens in heaven. The drama that happens in heaven when Moses comes to haul away the Torah. It's like... Um, I don't know craigslist is that still a thing i don't know facebook marketplace it's like i've got a torah you know free for somebody who picks it up so moses comes along and he's picking it up but meanwhile there is a protest let's look at the protest you have it here in your booklets um it is going to be text one. i'm going to read this text um i'm going to put it up on the screen give me a moment uno momento por favor um Mm, 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 mm. Oh, oh, before I start I know I started already But before we get into the text all right. here's the deal Why are we talking about this? Just to be very clear Because Saturday night Begins the holiday of Shavuot Which is the anniversary Of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai So we're going to talk about now What happened behind the scenes At that moment What happens when Moses goes up the mountain To get the Torah What happens in that moment The Talmud fills in I feel like Paul Harvey. And now you know the rest of the story. Oh, not yet. We haven't done it yet. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, this is an excerpt, by the way, the Talmudic piece is much longer. When Moses ascended on high, the ministering angels declared before God, Master of the universe, what is a human being doing here? God told them he came to receive the Torah. He's here for the pickup. The angels reply to God, a hidden, tre sorry, a treasure hidden for 974 generations prior to the creation of the world. That's very oddly specific, by the way. 974 generations prior to the creation of the world. And you seek to give it to flesh and blood? What? The Torah is like, and you're going to give it to these people? Who are humans that you should remember them? And the son of a human that you should be mindful of them. That's a verse from Psalms, Psalms, 8.5. Lord, our Master, how mighty is your name in all the earth for the sake of which you should bestow your majesty upon the heavens. Keep your Torah upon the heavens. Keep or bestow your majesty upon the heavens. Do not degrade your Torah by giving it to mortal human beings who are going to totally mess it up. God told Moses, "New, no. I'm adding, I'm paraphrasing, knew no answer them. (laughs) Imagine Moses. I just came for the pickup. I don't know. Do not get me involved in a domestic dispute over here. Like, I'm just here for the pickup. God's like, no, you, you answer them. So Moses said in their presence, Master of the universe, the Torah that you are giving to me, what's written in it? By the way, that was a rhetorical question. Total setup. I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Moses said to the angels, did you go down to Egypt? Were you enslaved to Pharaoh? Why should the Torah be for you? Again, Moses asked rhetorically, what is written in it? Ten Commandments, right? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Is there jealousy among you? Do you have an evil inclination? Why would you need the Torah that talks about not murdering, not committing adultery, and not stealing? Are you inclined toward any of those behaviors? Immediately, the angels agreed with God's plan to give the Torah to the people, to human beings. As it says, God our master how glorious is your name and notably the verse doesn't conclude. continue place your glory upon the heavens um, I feel like that could be explained better bottom line is the angels finally acquiesce and they give up their claim against keeping Torah in the heavens now that's a much shorter excerpt from a longer piece of Talmud the Talmud gets into much more back and forth Moses was actually afraid to answer the angels I don't know about you But I would be, like, totally apprehensive. Like, I don't know what these angels can do. You know, whatever. On their home turf. Sounds a little dangerous. Um, God says, hold on to my throne. He holds on to the throne. It's like a whole elaborate tale. Anyway, bottom line is, ultimately, Moses tells them, the angels tells the angels, hey, guys, read the Torah. Uh, God says, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Were you all there? Uh, do not do not murder. Do not do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Are these your issues that you're dealing with? Of course not. So why should Torah be for you? And that concludes it. Now, if you read it very simply, it's a it's a it's a it's an open and shut case. This is not like a Johnny Depp Amber Heard complicated situation, right? This is, too soon. I'm just saying this is not a very complicated. Situa- you all know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like you don't. Right? This is not a complicated situation. This is like, what does it say in Torah? It talks about, talk about life. talks about human beings. talks about vices, human vices. So yeah, it should go to human beings. Which then begs the question, what were the angels asking for? What, what did they want? But we know what they wanted. We know exactly what they wanted because we read it. They refer to Torah as the Torah that, ex- that, that was created... 900, I think I'm saying this correctly, 974 generations before before creation. In other words, they weren't speaking about Torah in its lowest incarnation. They were speaking of Torah in its ultimate conception, in its ultimate highest point. Does that make sense? Torah exists on a continuum. Give me an example. So, or an illustration. It says um, in the good books, maybe even in the books of Scripture, that King Solomon was so wise that he would give 3,000 parables. I spoke about parables on Sunday, Cabal and Coffee. Yeah. 3,000 parables, Mishalim, for a single concept. is wonder, 3,000 examples? Oh, can you imagine that? Talk about not needing a watch before a lecture. All right, let me explain this to you. It's like, and it's like 3,000 times? You, you kidding me? I'm going to go bananas. No. It's not 3,000 parallel examples It's 3,000 layers of examples, which means that essentially, as explained the Kabbalah and Hasidus, that King Solomon could take a concept and step it down 3,000 degrees. 3,000 levels of understanding he could bring it down. He could take take the most lofty concept and bring it all the way down 3,000 steps to the lowest and simplest notion of that idea. The point is that ideas exist on a continuum. You can explain an idea in a very abstract way or in a very concrete way, and you know there's, there's a lot of gray in the middle, or a lot of gradations in the middle. The point being that Torah exists on a continuum. And so what the angels were looking for is obviously not the physical incarnation of Torah. They were looking for the spiritual form of Torah. They wanted the Torah as it was conceived of, 974 generations, before creation. That's the Torah they wanted. So how does Moshe, what kind of answer is Moses giving them? Oh, what does it say in Torah? I am the Lord your God. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Yeah, that's how you're reading it. But the angels certainly have a way of understanding it. That's much loftier. Does that make sense? Yes? You with me on this? Let me read another text. Or actually, Sandrine, if you don't mind, to read text number two, page 86, give me a quick moment. I'm going to put it up on the old screen. Okay, text two, this is, oh, all right, I'm not going to tell you where it's from. You can see it for yourself. It's un- an unbelievable text, translated as, I worked on this publication on the, in English, on the essence of Hasidus. If you ever want to know what Hasidut, ha- or Hasidic philosophy, is all about, that's your book. Consciousness there's called in English, on the essence of Hasidus. All right, text number two, here's what the Rebbe says. All of the super... Supernal worlds, even the loftiest ones, are insignificant relative to the Torah. Accordingly, it makes little sense that the Torah was created just as an antidote to the evil inclination. So the Rebbe says like this: Look at this line, right? Even the loftiest spiritual worlds are insignificant. In other words, they're they're much lower than Torah. How do we know this? Because we just said, 974 years before the conception of the universe. 974 generations before the conception of the universe. That's where Torah originates. So Torah is much loftier than even the highest of realms. So how could Moses argue that Torah was created just as an antidote for our vices? He says to the angels, you know what the Torah talks about. It talks about do not murder. Aha, since you guys don't murder each other, you angels, right? So therefore, I I was just thinking of an Angels in the Outfield uh, reference. Anyway, since you don't murder, so therefore you don't need the Torah. Really? Torah is way beyond an antidote to the evil inclination. So what's going on? What what are we really talking about here? How how is Moses really answering the question? So what we're going to do right now is go to thing number two. And we're not going to come back to thing one until the end of the class. We often do this, by the way. It's... uh, I don't know if there's a word for it, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a methodology of, of analysis of study where you ask questions or you, you present ideas, you know, one, two, or more, three, four, five, and then you work back five, four, three, two, one. In this case, one, two, and then two, one, where you kind of, you, you layer the concepts and then you, you work backwards until you get back and come full circle. So that's just a little bit about the process here. Thing one, thing two. We're going to work with thing two, and then go back to thing one. Thing one was the story of Moses ascending uh, the heavens and debating the angels and securing the Torah for humanity. That we talked about on a very simple level. He's telling the angels, bros, it's not time about you. It's time about us." On a deeper level, that answer doesn't make any sense because certainly there's a there's a there's a level, a realm of Torah or a dimension of Torah that is way beyond. This part, it's hard to imagine that the Torah that God envisioned 974 generations before creation is just created or just exists as an antidote to human vice, to human lust, to human passion, to human um, jealousy or vengeance. The whole thing doesn't make sense. So what, what, what is Moses' answer really? Why should Torah indeed belong on earth? So that, that's, that's the question we're stuck at. We're going to put that aside. Make sense? Yeah, you guys with me? Okay, I hope so. Should be. Hopefully it'll be clear. Hopefully it's clear. Thing two. Thing two is about ulterior motives. The question that we are going to explore henceforth is, is it okay to do the right thing not for the right reason? Or does that mess it up? Let's say you do the right thing. But you're doing it for a self-serving purpose. Does that mess it up or is it fine? Is it like, well, better than nothing, or is it like, oh, a that's really bad. As we'll see, it's complicated. When you look at the Talmud, you get conflicting messages, which shouldn't surprise you because it is the Talmud, right, after all. But we're going to try to navigate this uh, these conflicting approaches and walk away hopefully with a really powerful perspective that should answer all the questions that we have about ulterior motives and I would suggest it's not a theoretical question I would suggest that um, I would offer perhaps that we've all at some point been concerned or at least curious about this topic like if I'm doing something good but it's really for me or it's really for something else is it good then? Or is it just selfish? Is it both? I don't know. It's a good question. Let's go let's jump inside. Let's look at the sources. Text number three. Because I, like I have to, like, uh, you know, being asked to, let's say, a in the school. Oh. right. You're saying that doing that would be you're saying if it's coming from someone else? no, but you say like you know if i do it because it brings like, right if it I makes guess. me feel good or if it's just for for the cause you so you're being asked to right sometimes do it. you're being asked to do it and then you're like oh, i don't even know if i want to do this mitzvah yeah. or this thing good 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 let's put everything on the table so let's let's begin this exploration which is a re- it's a really important topic and we'll see how it connects with how we started let's begin with text number three morning if you don't mind please read text number three talmud tractate, Pesachim. And, and, and the reason why I want to mention the source, by the way, Pesachim, which is the tractate about Passover, Pesach, is uh, we're going to have three different Talmudic, um, I don't know, uh, quotes, citations. And each one is going to be a drop different. You'll, you'll see what I mean. All right. Take it away. Rabbi Yehuda said, in the name of Rab, a person should always engage in Torah and Mitzvah even with ulterior motives because doing something with ulterior motives leads to doing it towards its to purpose. Thank you. So Rav Yehuda quotes Rav and he says, you know what? Even if you're doing it with ulterior motives, do it anyway. Study Torah, do mitzvot, even if it's not for the right reason. Why? What's the rationale? And I'm going to read the Hebrew. Shemitayich shaloy leshma, because when you do something not for the right reason for, with ulterior motives, it will lead to doing it for its intended purpose. So, this is source number one. Source number one says, just do it. Ah, it's not pure. Your motives aren't pure. Alright, it'll, it'll grow on you. Do it today for selfish reasons. Tomorrow you might do it for the right reasons. Does that resonate? Does that make sense? Yeah. Famously... Maimonides uses this to describe how we educate children. I mean, think about it. Think about how we incentivize children to do the right thing. We might dangle, I don't know, candies or treats or incentives, prizes. You want a child to learn, you know, a a whole mesechta mishnayis? I'll translate. You want a child to learn a whole tractate of Mishnah? A fourth grader. I'm talking about my son Shaya. Shaya Solish just this morning concluded... He knows the entire nine chapters of the first tractate of Mishnah Brachot. He read and recorded. I have the recordings. The entire. He read it. He reads the Hebrew, translated in English. Kanainahara. He knows the whole mesechta. and you know what got him to do it? The class trip. To get on the class trip, you had to have studied. To get this trip, you had to have done the whole Masechta. You don't want to do it, so you don't have to go on that trip. But if you want the trip, you got to do it. Guess what? It works. Now, one second. I'm not saying that there's no other way to motivate. There are many ways to motivate. Would he have done it otherwise? I don't know. I'm just telling you that when you dangle a reward, it's helpful. So now what are you going to say? Ah, wait a second. He may have learned it only for a trip, or that was a big motivation. So maybe it's not considered Torah study. Right? Says Rabbi Yehuda Amarav. Rabbi Yudha in the name of Rav, says it's fine. It's fine. Today he'll learn it for an ulterior motive. But he's learning. He's training himself to learn. Tomorrow he'll learn it for, for uh, you know in, in a pure way. Does that make sense? Yes. You guys with me on this? Let's look at Rambam. Let's look at Rambam. Rambam, where all the details are. Okay. Text number five. I'm skipping text four. You guys know that song downtown? Remember that? Okay. I'm just I'm just checking in making sure Listen, I'm checking in with you guys. I want to see that you guys are aware of things in the world from 30, 40 years ago. Okay, let's jump back in maybe maybe longer. Um, here we go. Uh, it's much it's longer, right? Was it 70s? 60s? Oh man. 60s. 60s. I'm 60s. I'm dating myself. <laughs> I, (laughs) i remember it i remember it before i was born that's how unbelievable talk about 974 generations before the world was the torah whatever 974 days weeks all right back inside back inside back inside um here we go understand says maimonides that when a young child is brought to a teacher to learn Torah, due to their age and limited perception, they don't comprehend how good it is to study Torah and what they can gain from its perfection. That means from the, from the beauty of Torah. From, from their more developed vantage point of the teacher, from the teacher's more developed vantage point, the teacher should encourage the child to learn with age-appropriate prizes. Like uh, trampoline, uh, indoor park, uh, or, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not sure where they're going, but something along those lines. The teacher, well, okay, Rambam has an idea here. The teacher can say something like, read, and I'll give you nuts or figs. Um, just, uh, just so you know, that would not work for my yeah. son. Nuts or figs. You got to go a little bit bigger than nuts and figs. Ice cream party, ice cream party yes ice cream party or slurpees or something yes pizza party well maybe not pizza because they get that every whatever something along those lines you could get it um what, what did he say nuts and figs I'm just gonna say talking about dating yourself Maimonides love you love you but at nuts and figs 2022. You're going to have to try a little harder. Anyway, and I'll give you a little honey. Aye, aye, aye. Okay, honey. Okay, again, put yourself 900 years ago. It's going to work. It is the prize that motivates the child and not the actual text itself for the child doesn't realize the Torah's true value. That makes sense. All reasonable. So you encourage, you entice, you incentivize, you offer. Is that bad? No. It's education. It's incentivizing. That's how we roll. But, Maimani says, when the child matures and develops, But they will realize that they're too mature for such things. What? Nuts and figs and honey. It's not going to work anymore. So then you got to up the ante. They will become, and they, these rewards, will become unappealing to them. Then the teacher should say something like, learn this section or this chapter and I'll give you money. One coin or two coins. There you go. He goes with money. Now money still works. Money still works. Till this day, money still works. Older kids? Listen, I mean, even my kids. Not even my kids. But I mean like nothing who just turned 18, I don't know, a week or two ago, when he was 17, all the way like three weeks ago. No, when he was like, I don't know, like a year ago, they had a thing in yeshiva, you learn a certain amount, you get 50 bucks, everyone's in. 50 bucks? You know, when you're in yeshiva, 50 bucks goes a long way. He's in, he's all in. Anyway, one or two coins, okay. One or two $25 coins, You're, you're good to go. The child will read and put in effort in order to get the money. Since the money is more prestigious in their eyes than study. In other words, you see what he says? If you tell them, learn. Why? Because learning is good. Mm, I don't know. I got a think. Money? Now, now I'm listening. Perfect. The whole point of learning for them is so that they'll get the promised monies at that stage. If the general public performs mitzvot out of fear of punishment or to receive reward, this is not entirely bad, my money says. Not so bad if it's, uh, you know self-serving, or whatever, ulterior. While imperfect, perhaps this is good enough for them until they'll have the tools, practice, and have put in enough effort in Torah observance that it will lead to them understanding the truth about serving God out of love. As a rabbis say, as we just read, a person should always engage in Torah, even if it's not for its own sake, because doing something for an ulterior motive leads to doing it for its own sake. That is literally what we just quoted from the Talmud. So what's the bottom line? So far, Oh, we're not done yet. What's the bottom line so far is, we have one, one, one position, the Tama that says, even if your motives aren't pure, do it anyway. If you have to incentivize someone, that's fine. If you have to, you know, entice or whatever, whatever as, long, as long as they're doing the good behavior or studying the Torah, it's a good thing. And hopefully the training wheels at some point will come off. And even if there's no promise of, candy, or ice cream, or Slurpees, or trampoline parks, or money, even if there's no promise uh, of those rewards, hopefully one day they'll realize, you know what? This is good. This is pure, it's good, and I'll do it for its own sake. That's the that, that's the, the plan. Make sense? Pretty straightforward. Now, let's look at another text that I skipped. Text number four. Okay, take a look at text four. The Me'iri. One of the Rishonim, one of the early uh, Talmudic commentaries on our, our aforementioned tractate P'sachim writes the following, even someone who engages in Torah Mitzvah for an ulterior motive is rewarded. In other words, even before, listen to this, even before they start doing it for the right reason, even if they're still in the state of doing it for the money, you still get a reward for the mitzvah. In other words, you might have been wondering this. Maybe I was wondering this. Maybe we were all wondering this. Well, one second. You're telling me that let's sacrifice purity, actually pure pure motives for the sake of doing it because ultimately at some point, they'll do it for the right reasons. Okay, but until that point in time, is there value in what they're doing? The answer is yes. When I say they, I mean us, right? Is there value, you know, like if we come to Torah studies for the hashtags, theoretically, like is that still Torah study? The answer is yes. I mean, hopefully one day it'll be just for the sake of Torah study because Torah is awesome. But if it's for some other reason, for the babka, babka's not going tonight. But whatever, I'm just saying. If it's for the babka, it's also okay. You still study Torah, you still get... You see that? Okay, Present our present crew is wanting to demonstrate and flex that they are studying for the sake of Torah and not for the babka. Hence, the babka's untouched. By the way, if anybody wants the babka, come on by. No judgment. Judgment, it's a very safe space. Okay, that's one, that's one perspective in Talmud. The problem is that this is not the only game in town and there are other perspectives in other sections of the Talmud. We're gonna turn out to Trate Brachot, which is text number six. Okay, let me uh share with you a an alternative perspective. Yeah, I was looking for what is It's Zre mitzvah mitzvah? mitzvah mitzvah, yeah yeah yeah. Bring it the yeah, if mitzvah, mitzvah, if you do one mitzvah, you get another one, right? Mitzvah goreris mitzvah, one mitzvah leads to the other. So if you do it, even for not the right reason, you'll you'll do more. Yeah, you train yourself; it's a good habit. Okay. Text number six, though, presents a different perspective. It is stated. Now, this is from Brachot. We did p'sachim and this is Brachot. Um, it is stated: the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. A good understanding to all who fulfill the mitzvot. Listen, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the analysis because the analysis is in Hebrew and this is English, so whatever. It is not stated simply all who fulfill, but rather all who fulfill them, those who perform these actions as they ought to be performed, meaning those who do such deeds for their own sake, for the sake of the deeds themselves, not those who do them, not for their own sake. If you could follow that, you get an extra prize, an extra slurpee, or an extra coin or two from Imanides, but I will tell you essentially what what the Talmud is saying is that the verse in Psalms is referring to someone who is doing the mitzvot for the sake of doing mitzvot and not for any other reason. No, no ulterior motives. This is all you need to know. Look at the last paragraph. One who does them not for their own sake. In other words, if you do it for for an ulterior motive, it would have been preferable for him had he not been created. Wow. That is harsh. That is harsh. That is harsh. If you do study Torah and do mitzvot, not for the right reasons, then it's better that you were never here. Wow, it's really, huh? Brachot is before. Brachot is the first tractate. That's the one that Sh- that Shaya studied. Um, but he said the Mishnah. This is from the Talmud. Right? There's Mishnah and Talmud. Talmud is the so, exposition. The One that Mary said was that even someone who engages in Torah right that's the that's the the star contrast we have Psachim says study if you do study torah do mitzvot for an ulterior motive it's okay it'll get better and even before it gets better you get rewarded mirror said you get rewarded we just read that now brachot says oh better that you weren't created wow super duper harsh now the simple answer is different opinions that was Rav Yehuda Rav in the name of Rav. And this is another opinion. You never heard of two Jews three opinions? So there you go. But we're going to try to reconcile this. Tonight we're going to try to figure out how everyone can get along, how everyone can be reconciled. But first we have to present the contradiction. We have P'sachim says, Talmud Trante P'sachim says, it's fine. Ulterior motives are fine. It'll get better. And even until it gets better, it's still fine. You still get rewarded. And in Brachot it says, Better that you were never never created. That's super harsh. It could be different schools of thought, but we're going to try to reconcile. Take a look at text 7. Here's again a dissenting opinion. Rabbi Ben-Na'a used to say, listen to this, also harsh, whoever engaged in Torah study altruistically, oh, this is altruistically, if you do it for the right reasons, the Torah becomes an elixir of life for them. A life potion. Fountain of life. As the verse states, it is a tree of life for those who hold on to it, and it says it is, it shall be a cure to your body. And another verse: Whoever finds me finds life. In other words, Torah is life. It's a good hashtag. Torah is life. But that's if you study it altruistically. However, again, look 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 at the the mic drop here. Whoever engaged in Torah study for an ulterior motive, it becomes an elixir of death for them. Unbelievable. Elixir of death poison? I picture the, uh, the the old skull and crossbones or is that a pirate? What am I saying even? I don't even know. Is that the pirates? Am I picturing the pirates logo from back in my day? Here's the point. Here's the point. Um, one source, Psachim says, it's fine. Brachot says better that you hadn't been born. And in Tainit, I forgot to, Tainit, third tractate, It says, if you don't do it for the right reasons, it's poison. It's an elixir of death. Well, which one is it? Is it fine? Or is it terrible? If I study Torah for the hashtag, right, on my way to becoming a Talmud scholar, don't forget to like my page. If that's that's my motive, yeah, is it A, okay? Not A-okay, but is it choice number one, is it fine because ultimately, because A nah. is it number one, fine because A I'm studying Torah anyway, and B ultimately I'll probably, hopefully study for the right reasons, or two is it better that I was never born God forbid, or an elixir of death God forbid, which one is it? It's like menakotza la it's like from one extreme to the other, now again you could say different tractates, different opinions I get that, I get that I get that we have two different opinions. It's a two-track day mind. I get it. I get it. But yeah, see what I did wait, there. I, I, yeah. I have. I have to interrupt you. I have to because wouldn't this prevent somebody from even attempting to, to to learn Torah? Excellent. Right. If I have to wait until my motives are pure, forget about it. Forget about it. I'll just get my own slurpees and call it a day. I mean, what are we doing? Right. So it seems like a, a disincentivizing. Even the growth, but well, you're not going to give kids an, an incentive to study. I mean, what's what? What are we even saying here? What's going on? We have one tractate that seems reasonable and taking human nature into consideration, and the other two that are saying they seem pretty harsh. Forget about it. No ulterior motives. Ulterior motives are terrible. Trave, forbidden. It's 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 death. It's what's going on here? So I these, believe, yeah, I believe the Rebbe's interpretation was the first one. Hold on, so what we're gonna do tonight, here's my goal, as the resident magician, whatever. My goal is, hashtag, my goal is, my goal is to attempt to reconcile these very different positions. Instead of saying two different opinions, and, and we're gonna choose to follow the one that's easier to deal with, we're going, I'm gonna present a perspective that hopefully ties them all together. And I'm going to give you two different ways of understanding how they reconcile. Approach number one, which we're not going to stick with. Approach number one. I didn't tell you that we have thing one and thing two, but within thing two, things get complicated. I didn't tell you that, because you know what? That's what the, oh, what was that thing called? Shoot. What was the cat in the hat? What did he, he picked up the mess. What was that? Come on. Anybody know the name of that? No, not the show game. He picked up with the the machine. The the he came in, he made a mess, and when he cleaned up the house, he had the machine that rode in, and he picked up all the. You guys know what I'm talking about, you, guys. Can that? He cleaned up the fish. Uh, yeah, but no, but there was. I think there was a name for that machine. He had. A, he drove in with this thing with a lot of different arms. It doesn't matter. The point is, I'm creating a mess of contradictions, and my goal is. To get the machine to clean it up, and by the machine I mean we're going to look at two different ways of reconciliation. Approach number one: three categories, not two. It's the old triple category conspiracy. You ready? We've been looking at two uh, two options: either you're doing you're studying Torah and doing mitzvah for pure motives or for self-serving motives. There's three categories, not two. Category number one is pure motives. Now, well, That's obviously good. We don't need any commentary on that. Obviously, pure motives is good. If you're studying Torah because it's God's wisdom, if you're doing mitzvot because it's the right thing to do and God wants you to do it, you're good. Mazel tov. You've been blessed. However, what about the ulterior motives? Is it fine or is it death? It's what's going on. Two different ways of ulterior motives. Within ulterior motives are two categories which explain the differing opinions. You ready? Number one, I might do something with ulterior motives, but not devious motives. You know, I might do, I might study Torah for the gram. For the gram, is that, is that a thing? I might study Torah for the hashtag. I might study Torah for the accolades, right? <laughs> study Torah for the fame and fortune. Maybe, whatever that is, right? Study Torah for all that, all that uh, renown But that's not devious. But what if, I'm not going to say I, what if someone studies Torah to mock others? What if someone studies Torah to shame others? What if someone studies Torah to hurt others? You say, well, what does that mean? I don't know. Imagine a scenario where somebody's studying Torah or doing a mitzvah with the express intent to hurt someone else that would be a case where it's better that they weren't born. That would be a case where it's an elixir of death. Are you with me on this? Three categories. There's innocent, well, there's pure pure motives, but then there's innocently selfish. There's innocent non-altruistic motives, and then there's devious non-altruistic motives. You with me on that? I can do something non-altruistically, in other words, selfishly, but it's not devious. It's just, okay, I'm a human being. I have an ego, whatever. Or it could be a nefarious plot to take over the world or to harm someone else. In the latter case, that's what the two Talmudic is to talk about how bad it is, that's what they're focusing on. Okay, this is not my answer. This comes from Tosvot and Rashi. Some of the basic Talmudic commentaries I will read these to you inside. Story time, text number eight. To answer, says Tosafot, there are two types of non-altruistic study. I don't even know what's going on with my highlights. All right. The statement a person should always engage in Torah and mitzvot even with ulterior motives is referring to a person who studies for the sake of earning the title of teacher and gaining respect, which though not ideal, which though not ideal is still acceptable. So if someone studies Torah to be respected, they want to be a teacher. They want to be respected. That's not pure, but it's not trafe, It's not terrible. It's like okay, it's, it's self-serving, but it's not devious. However, number two, the statement "Whoever engages in Torah study for ulterior motive, it becomes an elixir of death for them." The old skull and crossbones, poison control situation. That is referring to someone who learns with the intention to ridicule others. If you're studying now to put down others, to shame others to ridicule others. If you're using the Torah as a club to bop others on the head with, uh-oh, uh-oh, now it's an elixir of death. Okay. Now it's, yes. Isn't that why the Baal Shum folk came along? Because the scholars excluded the simple presence the, of learning? The scholars had started to not only study for their own ego, but they started using it to put down others. Exactly. That's where he said the house of study of talmud the certain houses are like cemeteries because the torah cannot rise when it's studied with such a state of death it's like a cemetery the pages of, of talmud are dead in these synagogues and these houses of study the people there think they're the greatest scholars in the world and meanwhile it's dead it's a garnish it's nothing it's not worth anything exactly yes the short answer is yes so rat says here's one answer simple answer is Look, if you study for the right reason, great. We're not even talking about you. That's great, wonderful. Keep on keep on doing what you're doing. If you study for selfish reasons, there's two categories: selfish but kosher, and selfish, but not kosher. Selfish, but selfish, but kosher means you're studying to be a scholar, to, to be a teacher. So it's about you, but it's not bad. Versus studying it to put down others, to shame others, to harm others. Not cool. Rashi says the same thing. Rashi Tosvot's grandfather says the following, one who does them, mitzvot, Torah study, not for their own sake, it would have been preferable for him had he not been created. That's what the Talmud says. Rashi says, this refers to someone who studies with no intention to fulfill what he learns. Wait, 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 wait. Um, Yeah, okay. Someone who studies not with the intention to fulfill, but rather to ridicule others, right? Ridiculing others, it was a problem. Um, The passage that encourages studying for an interior motive as will lead to studying for the right reasons, is referring to someone who learns Torah in the pursuit of honor. So again, if you're studying it for honor, not ideal, but not terrible, if you're studying it to ridicule others, that's problematic. That's one approach. This is this approach is so straightforward, we're not even going to go further in it, because it's straightforward, it's basic, Rashi Tosfot classic approach. We're going to go a little bit deeper. And we're going to present a different approach to reconciling the core contradiction. Let me reset the contradiction. I know we've, we've resolved it, in which case there's no tension in our story anymore. I mean, our hero has made it to the end of the novel, and everything's fine, reunited with the princess, and everything is good. And the house is even picked up with the, it's not Oompa Loompa, that's, isn't that something else? I don't know, with that machine. So whatchamacallit. So it. Is that what it is? So the machine, yeah. So the machine originally had no name. And when they did the Broadway version of Cat in the Hat, it got a name and they called it the Dynamic Industrial Renovating Tractor Majigger or D-I-R-T Dirt for short. But wait, is it not the watch Um, okay. Could be. Yeah, that's the one from Cat in the Hat. Got it. it. Cleans up before the mama comes home. Ke- cleans up. Okay, good. So we're all cleaned up. With nowhere to go, but the problem is, we got to reset the tension. Okay, we're gonna. Re- that's one answer. All right, shh, wipe that away. Let's reset the tension. All right, what's the tension in the room? The tension is one Talmudic tractate, namely Psachim says, it's okay if you're studying that for the right reasons. It's fine. It's okay. It's kosher. You'll you'll do. You'll 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 eventually do it for the right reasons. Keep on going. Another two Talmudic tractates say, "Uh oh, that's a problem." It's a problem, better that you weren't created. It's an elixir of, of death, it's not good. What's going on, how do we reconcile this? So here's our second approach. Second approach says that it's not about how devious or not devious is the non-altruistic motivation, but it's about something else. You see, the question really is, Are you going to study with the plan to act on it or not? In other words, what does it mean that you're studying not for the sake of Torah? So we said before, uh, selfish motives or even devious motives. This other approach has it differently. What does it mean to study Torah for non-altruism, not for the sake of of the Torah that means that you're studying without the intention or with no intention to actually put into practice what you study if you're studying Torah if you're learning about all these ideals and in your mind you're like yeah, I'm never gonna do it anyway I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother with this stuff I'm not gonna do it so to this the Talmud says better that you didn't do it in the first place or it's an elixir of life uh, of death why why because if you don't know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, okay, you didn't know. But if you learn what you're supposed to do and then you don't do it, now you got a problem. Are you with me, right? If you never learned what it means to be a mensch from a Jewish perspective, right? If you never learned that and, then, and, and, and you're not it, okay, well, you didn't know. Uh, you, you can't be held uh, totally culpable for what you didn't know. But what happens if a person studies? But in their mind, they're like, yeah, I'm never gonna do it anyway. Well, no, now you have a problem. Now you have a problem. Why? Because you, you, now you know what it is, and you're still not gonna do it. So now you're intentionally violating the code of, 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 of menshiks. That's not even a code of ethics, the code of the code of Judaism, right? You're now intentionally violating. Take a look at how Tosvot in another tractate of Talmud explains this. Take a look at text number 12. We're going to fast forward a little bit over here. Okay. The non-altruistic study that tractate Tainan and tractate Brachot mention is referring to someone who engages in Torah study with no plans to implement what they study, mm-hmm. whether out of fear or love, rather to sin. In other words, a person is like, I'm going to study. I'm still going to buy I don't care. How so? Why is it a problem? Because what was once inadvertent sin now becomes intentional. You see that? before you didn't know so if you didn't know and you messed up okay it was it was it was inadvertent but now you learned and you know you know better and you're still going to violate well, even though this person now knows that they're transgressing they still don't curb any of their desires or their enthusiasm this ah little modern reference there you like that not the 60s anymore now larry david yeah All right, this is in line with this. You gotta, listen, these classes move fast. This is in line with the statement in brachot, the objective of Torah wisdom is that it leads to repentance and good deeds. In other words, the purpose of Torah is not to remain theoretical, but to drive action. And thus, we have a new answer to our uh, um, paradox, to the contradiction in Tamr. One tractate that says when you study not for the right reasons, it's fine. It means you're studying. You have like self-serving goals, but you still intend, you still intend to do the right thing. You still intend to do to do the right action. The other tractates are talking about a person who doesn't even have the intention to do anything about it. They're gonna study, 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 but they're not gonna act on it. So now the Talmud says, well that's a problem, because at least before when you didn't know, you, you weren't held culpable for, for, for violating it because you didn't know. But now that you know, now it's a problem. In other words, be careful what you what you know. Knowledge is power, but also knowledge is uh, you know, knowledge just straight up ups the ante. So the question now is, you know, if that's the meaning of Shalayla Shema, not for the right reasons, not for the sake of act, of, of, of performance of action. So when the Talmud and Brachot said you should do it anyway, what does that mean? So I said before, maybe it means that you're still gonna do it, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But the Alter Rebbe gives another, another exposition on this. Text number 13 is a key text. Some say that nevertheless, a person should always engage in Torah and mitzvot, even with ulterior motives, because doing something with ulterior motives leads to doing it for its intended purpose. Listen to this. Listen to how the Alter Rebbe puts it, founder of Eventually, the light of Torah will bring them back to the righteous path. In other words, even if, listen to this, even if you're studying, without the intention to do anything about it, ultimately, says the outer Rebbe in Hasidus, the Hasidic perspective is, and this is how the Hasidic perspective explains the third, tra- or the original Talmudic tractate, is ultimately, ultimately, you're going to start doing it. Ultimately, you're going to start doing it, and it's going to rescue the whole situation. On the verse, they forsook me and did not keep my Torah, or say, just say, if only they had forsaken me, but still kept my Torah, because the light of Torah would have brought them back to the to the righteous path. In other words, there's two issues. Number one, they forsook me. They stopped doing the mitzvot. And number two, they didn't keep the Torah, which means they didn't, they didn't continue to study. So God is basically saying there's two things. The fact that they forsook me, okay, that's one thing. But if they kept on learning, they would have been able to get back to the right, to, to the straight and narrow. But then they stopped learning and then it got really bad. What's the message? And this gets back to Torah. And this, this is ultimately going to reconcile and answer the question about Moses and the angels and all, all of our questions what we're saying here is that there is a unique power in Torah study. And that is even the person who enters Torah study with a very cynical perspective saying, nah, I'm not going to do it anyway. I'm just, I'm curious what it has to say. Torah is such, is, is such a good salesman. Torah is so good. Torah is so bright. The light of Torah is so powerful that even the coldest heart even the most cynical mind, even the most stubborn Kishkas, I don't know, I need a third body part. Whatever. Even the most stubborn individuals individual who's not planning on budging. I'm gonna study. Bring it on, rabbi, tell me what you got, but I'm not do I, but don't expect anything out of me. Sitting with folded arms, keep on studying. Eventually the arms will unfold, the babka will come out eventually eventually it's going to start making progress remember rabbi akiva the great rabbi akiva 40 years old had not learned how to read hebrew had never studied torah not even the language not even hebrew 40 years old and he sees a hole in a rock and he says what's going on holy rock batman what's going on and he sees there's a drop an air conditioner as i like to say there were no air conditioners then right 2000 years ago some some water had been dripping on the rock. In the same position. And it bore a hole through the rock. And he said, aha. If water can can penetrate a rock, Torah can penetrate my mind and heart. That's the message for tonight. Even when you go into it from a cynical perspective, even when you go into it from an uncaring perspective, even when you go into it from a I'm not doing this anyway perspective, keep at it, says Talmud Tractate Psachim. Keep at it. Because the more you study, the more you learn, eventually, eventually, Shahamarshaba, the light, not our, the Mar, the source of light in Torah, Mahzira Lamutav will return him to the straight to, to, to a good place. There's no question, it's not even a, It's not even a doubt. It's not even a question that if a person continues to study, and little by little, beha- they will become transformed. That is the power of Torah study. So when the Talmud said, when the t- two places in Talmud said, you better not study without the intention to act, that was right. Because if you study with the, without the, intention, with the intention not to act, that means you're, you're, you're intentionally violating the law. That's not good. When the third tractate said, keep on going anyway, that was also right. Because even though when you intended to study without learning, that wasn't great, Sorry, without acting, that wasn't great. Keep on studying, because eventually it will lead to action. That's the way Chassidus explains it. That's the, that's the way the Reb explains it. That's the way the Reb explains it. Keep on studying. Even though you started off, maybe in not a great place, and it was death and better not to be born, sure. Yada, yada, yada. Keep on studying nonetheless. Why? Because the light in Torah, the source of light in Torah... Will eventually bring you around. It's gonna happen. It's not a question, it's gonna happen. There are three things guaranteed in life. Three things guaranteed in life. I'm gonna modify it a drop. Mashka, money, and chsiddis, or Torah. We'll call it Torah tonight. Mashka, money, and Torah. Mashka is alcohol. Mashka is guaranteed to make you drunk. Someone says, I oh, drink and get drunk. You didn't trick enough. Money is guaranteed to make you Meshuggah. Crazy. Sometimes I have money, I'm not crazy. You don't have enough money. If you had more money, you would become crazy. Torah is guaranteed to make a change in your life. Sometimes I studied Torah, I didn't change. Got to study more. Same answer for all three. If it hasn't worked yet, <laughs> crank it up. Now, I'm not suggesting that we drink to inebriation and have money to the point of of self-harm. I'm just suggesting that the third option, the third scenario is 100% true, 100% of the time. If we keep studying Torah, we will see a change in our behavior. So yes, the Talmud says, if you're studying with the intention, I'm not doing anything, that's not good. But keep on doing it anyway. Can we handle that paradox of it's not good, but keep on doing it anyway? I can. I'm not, I'm just saying, I can handle it. I hope you can handle it. But wait, 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 it said not to do it. It says it's not good. But the other Talmud Talmud, says keep on doing it. I should keep on doing something that's not good? Yeah. Wait, you never did that before. I mean, what do you mean? It's not good, it's not ideal, but keep on doing it. You know why? Because eventually it's gonna be good. Because that's the power of Torah. And that's what Moses told the angels. Oh, you didn't think that transition would be so smooth, did you? That's what Moses told the angels in part thing one of today's class. The angels are like, but the the Torah is spiritual. And Moses says, you think that's what Torah is for? You think that brings out the light of Torah, the power of Torah? The fact that Torah speaks to heavenly beings in a heavenly environment? Torah flexes when it can move the person with folded arms. That's when Torah flexes its power. How do you know that Torah comes from God? An infinite God. When Torah, when the light of Torah can move the unmovable person. That's when you see Torah's power. Moses says to the angels, You want Torah to remain up here and do nothing? You guys are light-filled beings. You don't have challenges. You guys are on, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. You are the Kool-Aid. You are the choir to which preachers are preaching to. You don't need the Torah. People? People need the Torah. People are like, yeah, I'm good. My life is fine. What's this? And Torah's like, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll learn. But I have no intention on doing anything about it. And Torah says, hold my beer. Torah says, literally, literally. Verse, chapter and verse, that I shall not make up now, to not be irreverent. Hold my beer, says Torah. You want to see this? You ready? You want to put down money? Yes, the Talmud says, don't do it. But the other Talmud says, but do it. It's the old wink. That's how the Atarab explains it. The two Talmud attracted say, oh, it's bad. The other one says, do it anyway. You know why? Because Torah is powerful. Torah is transformative. Torah Changes lives that had no intention of being changed. I would submit that each, every one of us here has experienced the transformative power of Torah study. Don't worry, I'm not looking for a, uh, a reference. I'm just saying, everyone here has, has experienced to some extent the transformative power of Torah, of Torah study. I would guess. I would venture a, a, a guess. Even if we weren't expecting it. Somehow it crept in. It's, it's, it's improving our relationships with self, with others, with God, all of the above, one of the above. It's helping us. So Moses says to the angels, you want Torah not to do something or to do something? In heaven, it's not going to do anything. It's going to be beautiful and pristine it's like the mansion on the bench. It's like it, There it is. Torah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, look at it. It's in a glass. It's in a case. Like the Mona Lisa with a little cake. You guys saw that? You guys saw that? You saw that, right? You know that. The Louvre. Yeah, but did you hear One guy. The, cake. the cake. I'm literally telling the story of the cake. It just happened two days ago. You heard this story? Some guy comes. He dresses up. Listen, some young guy. Oh, he's the little sugar. Maybe he had too much money. He had... Listen, this guy... He dressed up as an old woman in a wheelchair. He got close to the, to the Mona Lisa, and he took a cake, and he started smushing it on. Now, one second. Thought, oh, the Mona Lisa. Isn't that crazy? How I didn't hear about this? There's a glass, bulletproof glass in front of the Mona Lisa. All he did was he smushed it on the glass, upon which they cleaned it. A little, a little Windex. Psh, done. Good to go. A little squeegee action. <laughs> Maybe I have even picture for, for now using things. Let's go with the curious George with the window. He's a window washer. Let's just now mix all sorts of kids' books. Here's my point. Here's my point. How do we get to the Louvre? How do we get to, to the cake? Smushing cake. Oh man, I may have overextended on that one. All right, back, back to the point. Yeah, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Torah moves even those that didn't intend on being moved. That's the nature of Torah study. So, Thomas says, be careful, don't do it. And the other Thomas says, do it anyway. Because Torah, Torah has helped all of us on some level. And that's what, God, that's what Moses tells the angels. You want, you, want, you want the Torah in a glass case? You want the Torah behind the plexiglass? Here's Torah. 974 generations before the world, this is the pristine light of Torah. Or you want to see it do its thing? How do you know that it comes from the power of, of an infinite God? How do you know that Torah is infinitely powerful? On a shelf? In a museum? No. You see it when cynical people open up the book, maybe on a whim, maybe on a lark. I don't even know what lark exactly means. Right? Maybe on a bet. Maybe on a hey, I'm going out tonight to Torah study. We want to join me? Or I was flipping through my Zoom channels and it just came up. I don't even know how this came up. Right? In any number of ways. And Torah study is transformative. Moses says to the angels, You tell me which sounds better. Having zero effect to you, angels who never went to Egypt, never faced challenge, don't have an evil inclination. Don't get angry, jealous, or lustful. Or do you think perchance the Torah has a little bit more to say and more to flex and more to reveal its Torah awesomeness here on planet Earth where it can take people who would describe themselves as unmovable and transform their very lives. Now you tell me. And the angels say, Moses, with a little gleam in their eye and a little Mm -hmm. twinkle. Moses, you got this. Now make us proud. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah Study. Hope you enjoyed tonight's conversation. Hope you enjoyed the class. Don't forget, Saturday night, the holiday begins. Begins after nightfall. It's 50 days after Passover, which means we have to wait till 50 days pass. Nightfall, Saturday night. In other words, after the time that Haftalah would be... (sighs) It's going to be in the nines. It's going to be the nine twenty. Last Shabbos was nine twenty-three. Shabbat was over, so it's going to be around the nine twenties or so. Um, at ten thirty, we are gathering in Jeff's place downstairs here in town, for a night of Torah study, Torah talks, four talks from the community Saturday night, from the community by the community. Sorry, by. The, try that again. By the community for the community. That's happening Saturday night. I'll give some other classes afterwards, after midnight, but join us at least for that first 90 minutes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Jewish tradition for the last few thousand years has us studying in the night of Shavuot in preparation for 928. Thank you, David. 928, the holiday begins. Gives you one hour to uh, get your holiday started and come on over. Um, join us. Let's study Torah in preparation for the anniversary. But now you know... Not only the rest of the story, it's Paul Harvey. But now you know what we're celebrating on Shavuot. We're celebrating the greatest tool of transformation the world has ever seen. We call it the Torah. Swiss Army people would love to put that on their tool situation, on their little, you got your little screwdriver, you got your little, I always loved, I, I had one. Right, Mom? You remember that. I had... I got it. It's the corkscrew that matters. Well, but listen, my favorite, (laughs) my favorite, without a doubt, as a kid, my favorite was the scissors. (gasps) The the toothpick also was very cool. The scissors got a little spring action. Oh, my. Hmm. A scissors? I don't know. I don't know what you use a scissors for. Who knows? It's not about actual utility. It's fantastic. All right. David's asking a good question. Why don't we start the cycle of Torah reading with Shavuot? Excellent. Good. Okay. Come Shavuot night. We'll talk about it, maybe. We'll add it to the, uh, to the agenda. Yes, Adina Manka. Uh, when is the last time we, we do the Omer? We do the Omer that, that would Friday be Friday night? night. Yes, Friday night. Yes. Friday night Omer. That's it. All right, my friends. Thank you for joining. It's great to study Torah together. I'm going to wish you the classic uh, blessing. Kabbalah besimcha ubpnimius, and I'll translate: May you receive the Torah besimcha with joy, and bpnimius in a hard to translate in English because America is... bpnimius um, means in an internal, sincere, and deep fashion and inside. Bpnimius means inside. So the Torah, you should receive the Torah once again this year. Receive it from God. Receive it with joy and with integration. All right. Be, be simcha u uh, torah May you receive the Torah. Be simcha u be ut. And in an internal way. All right. We'll see you all. Thank you. Penim. <inaudible> no, no, no. No. Yeah, penim. Penim. Yeah, yeah lefnim. Means inside. In an internal <inaudible> way. Lefnim. <inaudible> <inaudible> exactly. All right. We'll see you all. Have a good night. Lila Tov. Take care, everybody. All right, see ya. Thank you pleasure, pleasure. Good night. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at Intown Jewish Academy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me, and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.